here we are again. We're in now the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And our theme, as some of you will remember, is uh, the fellowship of the gospel. And we've been uh, looking at all of these different texts here in Philippians, trying to look at it through that lens of the gospel. And maybe you remember hearing me say that uh, Paul had gone to Philippi. He had uh, preached the gospel there. A church was established. The, the people there in Philippi were so thankful for uh, what God had done through Paul's life for them. They wanted to see the same radical transformation and encounter with God happen for other people. So they said to Paul, we're gonna support you. We're gonna be with you. We're gonna contribute um, to your ministry so you can go out with the gospel and others can be saved. So they entered into a partnership or a fellowship in the gospel. So that's been the lens that we've been looking at uh, Philippians through. And, and once again, let me just start out today by um, mentioning really briefly the gospel. And we'll come back to it at the end of the teaching. But the gospel is the greatest news that's ever been uh, pronounced. And that, that's really what gospel means. Uh, the proclamation of good news. And the good news is that we human beings who have been separated from God because of our sin and have completely lost our way and uh, really are, are clueless as to why we're even here on planet earth and we're going about uh, trying to find meaning and purpose and all of those things. Uh, we who have been lost through the work of Christ on the cross, we uh, have been now uh, sent a, uh, a lifesaver and, and God has cast out the rope to us and he just is saying, grab on to Jesus and come and, and be part of my kingdom. So Jesus is um, the one who brings us back to God. He's the one who reconciles us to God. And, and like I said, this is the greatest news imaginable. And at the, the end of my message today, I want to just take a minute and give an opportunity for those of you who maybe have not yet met the Lord to come into that relationship with him. So we'll come back to that in a moment, but, but we're looking today at the verses that Cheryl uh, led us in reading, uh, verses one through nine of chapter four. And we're really gonna drill down primarily into uh, verses six, seven, eight, and nine but I want to look at the first uh, five verses and there are four things that we're just going to touch on just so we're covering all of the bases here in the epistle. So as Paul is concluding this brief letter to the church that he deeply loves in Philippi, he gets very personal mentioning some of them by name. He also gives some very practical instruction that will help them and untold millions of others down through the ages navigate the difficult and challenging seasons of life. And so that will be our primary focus, those, those words that Paul spoke about how to navigate uh, the difficult and the challenging seasons. But before we do that, 
like I said, let's walk through a few things that uh, Paul says here. So as, as I mentioned, he, um, he now uses personal references here. In verse two, he says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also. So Yodia, Syntyche, Clement, um, we know from the history given to us in Acts chapter 16, we know that Lydia was uh, the woman, the, the wealthy woman who was a, uh, a merchant selling, um, uh, making and selling cloth. Uh, we know that she was the one who invited uh, the apostles into her home originally, and that's where the church started. But so the church has expanded, and now these uh, other people are here and they're mentioned. But notice that Paul refers to these two women. Now, it seems that there was uh, a dispute between these ladies, and Paul is, is talking to somebody, doesn't mention the name here, but he's saying, now help, help these women, help these women get through this uh, difficulty that they're uh, engaged in right now. But what I want to point out is, is Paul refers to these women as those who labored with me in the gospel. You know, um, Paul, like Jesus before him, um, he partnered not just with men in the gospel, but he partnered with women in the gospel as well. And he mentioned these two here by name, Yodia and Syntyche. But then if we go through, say, um, you know, Paul's other letters, or we look at the book of Acts, but particularly in Romans chapter 16, Paul mentions a whole list of women who were involved uh, in some way, shape or form with him in the uh, advancement of the gospel. Uh, some of the names we read there are Phoebe, Priscilla, Mary, Andronicus, Junia, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, and there are others. And, and I just wanted to touch on this because, um, you know, there, there is some controversy currently in the evangelical world about the role of women and what they can and can't do in the church. And, and you know, it's funny, I read a book uh, a while back um, and, and it was talking about how this, um, uh, you know, this sort of negative perspective on, on women involved in ministry that, that exist in some parts of evangelicalism, it really, it really kind of has its roots in the mid 20th century. And, and going back prior to that among evangelicals, going all the way back to the time of the Wesleys and the Whitfields and those in the, um, the 18th century revival, the, the Great Awakenings, uh, they didn't seem to have these kinds of hangups in the sense that they pretty much followed the rule that uh, women could preach the gospel. Women could speak uh, the word of God. Um, I, I think there's, there's mostly been the agreement that uh, women were not to be the leaders of the church. But apart from that, uh, women could do pretty much everything else, including preach the gospel and uh, teach the scriptures. And, and so I just thought, you know, we, we need to always go back to the biblical text and we need to see, you know, what does the Bible say? And as we look in the gospels, of course, we see that 
uh, the, the gospel actually of the resurrected Christ was first preached by a woman, believe it or not. Yes, it was first preached by a woman. Mary Magdalene was the first one to proclaim the risen Lord. And so um, all of that to say, as I, as I read what Paul says here about the women that served with him in the gospel, uh, I think myself of the, of the many women, my wife being primary among them, uh, but the many women that God has blessed uh, me with in the ministry over the years that we've been able and, and still are to this day serving the Lord together for the gospel. I think of the amazing women that God has used uh, historically in the advancing of the gospel. Now, I mentioned before that my wife, Cheryl, and her friend, Jasmine Allnut, who Jasmine's my friend too, uh, but they just recently started a podcast together called Women You Should Know. And uh, at this point, that uh, the third woman in the series, um, Jenny Mitchell, uh, that's, the, that's the newest one in uh, the podcast series, but uh, Gladys Aylward, Mary Slessor, and now Jenny Mitchell, uh, they've been talking about these ladies and I'm, I'm listening to these podcasts and just being so incredibly edified by these stories. And I'll tell you, these women were absolutely amazing. And they did things that um, are just, uh, you know, really, really quite extraordinary through their faith in the Lord with um, Gladys Alward and, and the, the ministry that God uh, gave her in, um, I, I think it was China. And then uh, Mary Slessor in what we would know today as Nigeria in Africa. And then Jenny Mitchell just heard that story this week. Anyway, um, if you want to be edified, if you want to be challenged, if you want to see how God has historically used women uh, in regard to the gospel, check out the Women You Should Know podcast. You're going to love it. So this wasn't just a plug for that, but it, it really has been a, a blessing for me recently. And so that's the first point. Paul, uh, Paul refers to the women that uh, have served with him in the gospel. But then he, uh, then he mentions um, also Clement. And then he says also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So let's talk for a second about the book of life. Uh, the book of life is referred to eight times in the New Testament and seven of those times are in the book of Revelation. So this is the only time um, that the, a reference to the book of life appears outside of the book of Revelation. Um, it's, it's called, in the book of Revelation, it's called the Lamb's book of life. And there it says that the names written in the book of life are written there from the foundation of the world. Wow. So the book of life is really the registry of heaven. And what is being stated as you put all of the various passages together is that no one can enter heaven unless their name is there in the book. Have you ever gone to uh, any kind of an event where um, you had to have your name on a list? I've been invited to some things at times and um, you know, maybe I'm gonna get into uh, the backstage area or something. And so they put your name on a list. 
And then you, you go up to the window and you say, yeah, I'm here. So-and-so invited me, I'm their guest. Um, and they say, what's your name? Uh, you tell them your name. And until they see your name on the list, it, it doesn't mean anything. You could say you're, uh, you know, the, <laughs> you, you could say you're anything. And uh, it, it doesn't matter. All that matters is your name is on the list. And if your name's on the list, then it, it doesn't even really matter who you're connected with or, or whatever. Your name has to be on the list for entrance. And this is the reality with heaven. Your name has to be on the list. How does our name get on the, on the list? How, how are our names written in the book of life of the lamb? How can we be assured of that? Well, there's only one way and that's by receiving Christ. When we receive Christ, then we know that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so Paul speaks of those fellow workers whose names are also written in the book of life. And then he says this, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now remember, these words are coming from a man who is in prison. He's in prison uh, for his ministry, for his proclamation of the gospel. He's in prison, but what does he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, joy is something that God uh, gives to his people. And it's, it's his gift to us, but we have to receive it. And we receive it really practically by looking beyond our circumstances so often um, because our circumstances will uh, rob us of joy. Quite, quite often that can be the case. And so uh, we have to do what Paul said here. We have to rejoice in the Lord. You see, if we let our circumstances dictate our mood, uh, then we're going to vacillate uh, between joy and um, you know, frustration, um, what, whatever, um, sadness, depression, um, because our circumstances are, are going to change and our circumstances are not necessarily always going to be favorable in the sense that they're going to produce joy. But here's a beautiful thing. The Lord never changes. The Lord never changes. He's always the same. And his truth is always the same. And his promises are always sure and certain. And the future that he has planned and, and promised to those who put their trust in him is fixed and unalterable. And because of that, we can rejoice in him. And that is what Paul says to do. Rejoice in the Lord and remember this is coming from a man who is in prison. Now, I don't remember if I said this last Sunday. I, I don't think I did because of the, um, the passage we were looking at, but I've shared it a few other times in different contexts. So, but I'll share it really quickly again. Paul says in writing to uh, the Ephesians, he, he refers to himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus. So it's the same imprisonment. He writes this letter, Ephesians, Colossians, and uh, probably Philemon um, while he's in this imprisonment. He will be released and imprisoned again 
And that, that final imprisonment will lead to his execution. And it's during that time that he writes 2 Timothy. Um, but, but here, um, Paul is, he, he sees himself as the prisoner, not of Caesar Nero, who was actually the emperor at the time. And he was in prison um, under the authority of Nero, but he looks beyond Nero. And he says, I am the prisoner of Christ Jesus. You see, Paul understood that Christ could deliver him any moment from the prison situation if he so chose to do. But Paul reasoned that, well, since I'm here in prison and Jesus knows I'm in prison and he could get me out of prison because he's already done that before. uh, Since I'm here, I'm gonna just take it that Uh, even though it's not the ideal situation, that it's God's plan and purpose for my life right now. So I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And and, you know, as we're kind of uh, in a little bit of a prison, uh, in some regard, as we're in this quarantine state and all of that, we can get super frustrated if we start thinking in terms of being the prisoner of, um, well, the circumstance itself, or maybe we're a prisoner of, Uh, the political people in power who are making the rules and that can lead to a lot of uh, angst. But if we just look beyond all of that and say, you know, I'm the prisoner of Christ and this is a time the Lord has ordained and so um, I'm gonna rejoice in him. That's what uh, Paul is um, calling us to. And then he says this, he says, let your gentleness be known to all people the Lord as is at hand. Now, the word gentleness can also be, and I think in the CSB is translated graciousness. And, and I think graciousness really describes a little bit better what it is that Paul is um, calling us to. Let your graciousness be known to all. You know, as, as Christians, as God's people, um, graciousness is such a beautiful Thing, and it's such an important thing because it sends, well, it sends the message of grace uh, to others. So Paul says, let your graciousness be known to all. Now, in, in my observation, a lot of people currently are uptight and angry and, and, and very demanding. And listen, this is not... Uh, to be the demeanor of the followers of Christ. Our lives are to be marked by patience, self-control, and gentleness. And and I think, again, right now is a really important time. You know, it's important because sometimes as Christians, we... um, you know, we, we look at, at kind of, you know, maybe the, the bigger, more obvious sins that we were maybe at one time engaged in and we know that we don't do those things anymore because Christ has saved us. But sometimes we don't think so much about what, what we would deem some of the smaller sins, you know, like um, irritability, like anger, like um, being um, uh, impatient and, and demanding and those kinds of things. Uh, but, but you know, these are, these are attitudes that are contrary to the attitude that the Lord calls us to have. And so we, we have got to remember that, that a big part of our witness 
is not just what we say, but it really is how we say it. And when we talk about believing in the Lord, but yet at the same time, we're uptight, we're angry, we're impatient, we're demanding, that, that's a bit of a contradiction because you know the onlooker might say, well, wait, I thought you trusted in Jesus. I thought you believed that he was in control of your lives and so forth. So if we're, if we're going to do what Paul says here, if we're gonna be gracious, if we're gonna let people see our graciousness, we, again, we've gotta keep our eyes on the Lord. And we've got to remember that uh, he is the Lord. He's the Lord over all things. And, and sometimes we just have to embrace the situation and say, okay, Lord, I, I'm gonna trust you through this and not, not get um, angry uh, or, or aggressive. So let your graciousness be known to all people. Um, St. Augustine, as he's commonly referred to, uh, is historically one of the great minds within the, the Christian church and uh, a brilliant, brilliant thinker and a man who had a, a, an incredible conversion and transformation. He was a philosopher. He, was, uh, he, he had embraced a, a real um, heretical idea in his generation. He was a very um, immoral person. His mother was a Christian. And, and she prayed fervently for him. And she so desperately longed for him to uh, come to know Jesus. And the Bishop of Milan was a man named Ambrose. And Ambrose had a huge impact on uh, Augustine and would uh, eventually become his, his mentor in the faith in many ways. But it's interesting when uh, Augustine was later asked about the impact of Ambrose, uh, who was a brilliant man himself, who was a brilliant orator, uh, great preacher of the word. Um, this is what Augustine said. He said, I began to love him at first, not as a teacher of truth, for I despaired of finding it, speaking of truth, in the church but simply speaking back uh, concerning Ambrose, but simply as a man who was kind and generous to me. So the initial impact of Ambrose was not his great preaching. It was his kindness and it, it was his graciousness that impacted Augustine. Now, you never know if there, if there might not be an Augustine uh, that comes across your path and, and you might think, you know, it's your best argument or, you know, if you're a preacher, it's your best and most fiery sermon. Uh, in actuality, it could very well be your demeanor of grace that has the greatest initial impact. And so let your graciousness be known to all. And so now we come to, that was kind of the introduction. So now we come to, um, the, the part that I really want to focus on today. Um, and, and let me read us here, verses six and seven. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So this is one of the passages that has brought amazing peace uh, 
to generation after generation after generation of believers. I mean, let's face it. This is one of the great uh, encouraging statements in the New Testament, isn't it? And, and remember, this was written in prison. And so uh, had Paul not been in prison, he might not have penned this letter to the Philippians. And so again, we see how he doesn't let his circumstances get him down, but he lets God use him even uh, despite the, the circumstances he's in. And he comes out with this solid gold for, uh, for his friends who received the letter initially in Philippi and for every successive generation of Christians. And so be anxious for nothing. Well, what does that mean? Well, that, that simply means don't be worried or anxiety ridden about anything. Wow. Be anxious for nothing. I, I shouldn't be worried about anything. Well, that, that's what the apostle says. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be worried about anything. Now, some today are worried about themselves or, or perhaps someone they love uh, getting this virus. I, I think many, many people are worried about that. There's still many people that are, that are very fearful of this and, and worried about this. Some are worried about a, a loss of income, uh, a loss of a job. Uh, some are worried that they're going to be kicked out of their homes. Uh, some maybe have uh, been in business and are worried that you know there's no future for their business. Uh, some are worried about what the future holds. Many people are asking, what is life going to be like uh, after this? Or is there an after this? Is this ever going to end? Some are say, asking the question, how, how am I going to make it? Are things ever going to return to normal? Now, these and many similar types of issues are the things that we are being tempted to be anxious about in the midst of this coronavirus um, pandemic that we're all living in. And, and listen, this temptation toward anxiousness, it is understandable. It's not like you're sinning because you're worried about these things. This is just, we're faced with this reality and it's understandable. Uh, as a matter of fact, the cdc.gov um, website uh, speaks to this very thing. It, it says that outbreaks uh, like this can be stressful. I think that's a bit of an understatement. Uh, but listen to uh, the statement that they put here. The outbreak of the coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19 uh, may be stressful for people. Fear and anxiety about a disease can be overwhelming and cause, a, cause strong emotions in adults and children, resulting in, among other things, increased use of alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs. So again, the point is uh, being worried and fearful and, and anxiety-ridden, um, this is a common reaction to this kind of an outbreak or, or these types of crises. It's common. But here's the thing that we've got to remember. The Christian has an advantage, really, in as much as we have a God 
who is watching over us. We have a God who sees and cares and is able and committed to helping, delivering, and ultimately blessing us. That is the reality. So you see, the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is not that Christians don't go through tragedy or they don't go through suffering or they're not affected by a pandemic. Christians are affected just like everybody else. The difference is the Christian has hope and trust and confidence in the living God who the, the Christian is able to look to and trust in at times like this. And that's what Paul is telling us that we can do. The NLT translates um, verse six like this. It's, it's simple, it's beautiful. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So you see, that's the reality. We can be anxiety free because we have a heavenly father, because we have a God who loves us and is committed to our uh, ultimate well-being. And so he says, going back to uh, the New King James Version here that we're reading from, uh, he says, uh, pray uh, not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So the the difference between prayer and supplication is is nuanced, it's subtle. Um, But I would say the best way to understand it is maybe to just think in terms of, of prayer Uh, meaning just talking to God generally and uh, supplication or petition, it speaks uh, more specifically of requesting things uh, of God. So, you know, here's the beautiful thing about uh, being a Christian. You can have as much dialogue with the living God as you choose to have. So you can just talk to him. That's, that's, part of what prayer is. It's an ongoing ability to access the throne of God and to come to him just simply conversationally. And, and that, that is such a beautiful thing. And it's such an amazing thing that, that we can do that. And the amazing thing is as we speak to God, he speaks back to us. And so we, we can talk to God about whatever is on our heart, but then we can also petition him. And prayer is often understood as specific uh, request from God. But, but we can do that, whatever it is. It goes on to say, um, he, he adds with thanksgiving, so prayer and petition with thanksgiving. But then he goes on to say, let your request be made known to God. And your request is whatever it may be. What is your request? What is the thing that's burdening you today? What is the thing that you're worried about? What is the thing that you're, you're fearful over? Bring that to God. And you know, remember, God already knows. God knows our anxieties. He knows our deepest thoughts. He knows the things that are troubling us. And it's, it's perfectly acceptable and even invited 
that we would just come and bring that stuff to the Lord. Just, Lord, here it is. And you know, I, I found myself having to do that exact thing. Uh, there are so many things, so many burdens, and, and I can't bear them. I can't carry them around. I can't solve them. It's no good for me to get uh, filled with anxiety over them or, or frustrated because of this or that. I have got to keep, um, as Peter puts it, casting my cares upon him because he cares for me. And that's what he told us to do. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And then he says, this is the outcome. Now, we all want to have peace, right? But there's, there's a process to get to that place where we're going to have the peace. And the process is what we've just looked at, that we, with Thanksgiving, we present our prayers and petitions to the Lord, letting him know everything that's on our hearts. And then as we do that, and, and as we put it in his hands, and then the promise is, and the peace of God, which surpasses or transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That's the amazing thing. That the peace of God, something from outside of us, something beyond us, it will become a guard. It will um, be like a, a garrison of uh, soldiers uh, surrounding us and keeping us. The peace of God will do that. And, and really, if you... If we just think about it, okay, Lord, you love me. Lord, you have a plan. You're working in these circumstances. I know that in the end, um, I'm, I'm gonna enter into the fullness of your glory, all of those things. And, and you know, as we just get hold of that, that brings us peace. The peace of God, then um, it, it just takes over our lives and it surpasses understanding. You know, oftentimes, the more we try to understand something, the more depressed we get. And sometimes we just have to say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I trust you and, and I'm gonna rest in you. And so that's what the Apostle Paul tells us to do here. And then he says this, he says, finally, brethren. Now, this is the second finally. This is the final finally, uh, but it was back in the very first uh, part of the, uh, the third chapter that Paul there said finally. But now he, he really is bringing things to a conclusion. But when he says, finally, brethren, finally, brothers and sisters, he, what he's gonna do now is he's gonna contrast um, what he's going to say with what he's been saying. So he's been talking about the, um, the temptation toward anxiety and the, you know, obviously the, the falling into that, that trap. But now he's telling us how to um, contrast it with that. In other words, don't dwell on those things that you have no power over. Trust God with those. Instead, do this. And so he says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, just, pure, lovely, whatever things are of good report, uh, if there is anything virtuous or anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 
So you see, we're to take our mind off of the things that are causing the anxiety and we're to put our mind on these things. And the first thing at the top of the list here is whatever things are true. Did you know it is a statistical fact that um, over 90% of the things that people worry about never, ever happen. They never happen. I could, it would take me hours to tell you all the things I've worried about uh, in my life that have never happened. I've, I've had these fear scenarios. I, you know, I have four kids, I have grandkids. I can get so much anxiety about some of that. Oh, what if this happens and that's gonna happen? And then, you know, it's just so much of our energy is worrying about things that are never gonna happen. Now, sometimes things will happen. But what the Lord says is, let's not dwell on the things that might happen, but let's, let's meditate on the things that are true. And I, and I wanna say this, because I think this is an important word for right now, for today. I wanna say this in uh, gently and lovingly, but I, I wanna say it as a warning. Don't get caught up in uh, conspiracy theories right now. There's a lot of conspiracy theories that uh, I see Christians sort of buying into. And, and listen, this is not a time to do that. It's not a time to be trying to figure out, you know, well, what, what's really happening with this virus? Uh, you know, um, is this an act of uh, biological warfare against the United States? Or uh, is this a ploy by some uh, particular a political party to do the And the, these are the kinds of things. Look, you don't have to go far to see this stuff. I mean, just go to Facebook and it's all over there. But this is the kind of stuff that we Christians have to really avoid, not, not buy into because the vast majority of these things are not true. And so whatever things are true, and you see, as we get caught up in the conspiracy theories, that doesn't do anything but add fuel to the fires of social strife and contention. That's really all that it does. And, and as Christians, you know, we're, we're not to be out there ranting and raving and uh, going at it as, as cultural warriors with everybody. You know, we really have to be careful. And again, um, we're, we're to concern ourselves with the things that are true and the things as we've seen here, noble, just, pure, lovely, commendable, good, praiseworthy. Paul says, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. What does that look like? Well, look, spend more time in God's word. We've talked about that over the weeks that we've been in this lockdown. This is a time. Spend more time in God's word. Spend more time in prayer. Spend more time in worship. Take opportunities to your favorite worship songs or leaders or, you know, pause or pick up your hymnal and, and you know, sing along there by yourself. Uh, but the, these are the kinds of things. Um, study, study things that are gonna help you grow in your faith and help you become fruitful and impactful for the gospel. Um, give yourself over to things that are going to inspire you. And, and strengthen you. That's what Paul's talking about. Meditate on these things. And, and then he says this finally. In the ninth verse, he says, and the things which you have learned and received and heard and 
seen in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul started out by saying, follow my example. And now here he comes back around to his example. And he says, the things that you have learned, received, heard, and saw in me. So as we think of Paul, as we think of the Lord, as we think of those that we look up to spiritually, um, follow those examples. And as Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. So the peace of God that passes understanding and the God of peace. We can have the peace of God because of course, God is the God of peace. And, and I wanna say this in closing. My friends, we Christians should be the calmest, coolest, most level-headed people around. We should be setting the example of faith and patience for all to observe. Remember, Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. We serve the God of peace who gives his peace to those who trust him. Let's live like that. Let, let's live that out. Let's live our faith out by having peace because we're trusting in God so that when this whole coronavirus pandemic has passed, we'll be ready to reap the great harvest God is preparing and people will be ready to listen because they saw in us a peaceful reliance on the God who is in control of the world and all those who live in it. Listen, this is going to pass and there is a great harvest that is coming and we wanna be preparing ourselves for that. And so let's think on these things. Let's cast our cares upon the Lord as Paul says here. Let's have that peace of God that causes us then to reflect a confidence in him and something that unbelievers will look to and say, you know, I, I need that. I want that um, during this time and beyond. And so in our final closing word, let me just say, and I wanna just address this now to, to any that have yet to, to meet Christ, to come to know the Lord, to become a Christian and to know that you're saved. I wanna say this, the peace of God can only be known by those who have peace with God. So you've got the peace of God that passes understanding. And maybe you are saying, I need that peace. My life is in turmoil. I'm a wreck. I'm a nervous wreck. I, I just, I'm so fearful. I'm so worried. I, I'm so, again, it's understandable. But you see, through faith in Christ, you come into a relationship with God. He becomes your father. And as your father, he's committed to taking care of you and helping you and, bless, and blessing you. And so that's the opportunity that you have right now. You can experience the peace of God, but it comes through, first of all, having peace with God. And peace with God comes through putting our faith in Jesus. You see, we need to have peace with God because we're at war with him. 
That's why our lives are the way they are because we're in a battle with our maker. We're saying, no, I wanna live this way. I wanna do this. It's my, it's my life. I can do what I want. God's saying, no, sorry. Actually, I made you and I made you for this purpose. And so we're, we're in this conflict. <clears throat> but the moment we say, okay, I give, I surrender, then we at that moment, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he took uh, the judgment that our sins deserved upon himself, because of that, we can be reconciled to God and now we have peace with God. And now that I have peace with God, the peace of God is his gift to me during this time. And so if you've not received Christ, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that right now. So Lord, I pray for anyone that might be tuning in today who has not yet met the Lord Jesus, who doesn't have you as their father, who is filled with anxiety and worry and fear and all of those things. I pray that Lord, right now they would turn to you, that they would call upon you in just a simple prayer to just say, Lord Jesus, forgive my sins and be the Lord of my life. And Lord, I pray as they do that, that you would meet them there. And Lord, I pray for every believer today. I pray that that anxiousness, that worry, that fear, that all of those things would be alleviated um, as we put our trust in you, as we talk to you about our concerns, as we petition you about those specific things, Lord, may your peace take over our hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.